Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Jack podcast. You know what I'm about to say and you're probably going to skip forward 30 seconds but I'm pleading with you not to. It's been a difficult few months in terms of people chipping in and keeping this show on the road but it's been a huge month in terms of the new people who are listening. So if you're one of the new listeners and you like what we do and you want to stick around, help us stick around. Join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis and you get access to our entire back catalogue of over 1,300 podcasts covering just about everything that you've ever wanted to know about. Entirely plea-free and ad-free and sponsor-free. And by joining us, you'll be helping us to keep it free for everyone. Independent media matters now more than ever. Yes, we're unapologetically of the left. No, that doesn't float everybody's boats. But you know what? The right has enough outlets and platforms out there to get their message across. So let us do our thing. Help us keep going. Help keep these mics on. And the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. One more time patreon.com forward slash tortoise I'm shutting up now enjoy the podcast welcome to reboot republic the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality we are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope and i'm your host rory hearn I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Paula Kearney, who is a community worker in the Northeast Inner City. And we're going to chat today about something that's been hitting the headlines for the last few weeks in terms of what the so-called crisis in the Northeast Inner City, um, street violence, antisocial behaviour, of course, uh, hit the headlines because of the um, the violent attack on the tourist um, but of course, there's been violence in the northeast inner city in many forms, a structural violence by the state in terms of abandonment, isolation, and and major issues. And of course, there is an amazing community in the northeast inner city as well. And I want to talk this through with Paula today, who is a long, long time activist, originally from the north. Eastern City or not, Paula? No. Yeah, I grew up all my life in the northeastern city. Went from Hardwick Street, Ballybuck, Hardwick Street, Foley Street. Actually, forced the heart of the Monto was where yeah. I was born, and then went to Hardwick Street, Ballybuck, and then Summerhill. So now I'm, might... I'm in the outskirts now in Finglas, but my family <laughs> is still there, and I still walk in the north of the city. You do, you do. You work with Icon, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, do you want to explain to listeners what's Icon? ICON is a community development project in our city organisation network. We were 30 years in existence just recently, but ICON would have been involved in a lot of the community engagement, you know, getting getting all the organisations to come together, to work together, especially at the time when the second, mostly the second sort of heroin epidemic hit the northeastern sea. So they would have been responsible for working with the community, getting the the first National Drug and Alcohol Task Force and all set up. So they've always sort of encouraged that, you know, community engagement piece yeah. and about sort of trying to encourage a relationship between the state and the communities, which yeah. has lately sort of deteriorated. But they, they've always pushed that to make sure that the voices of the people affected by issues are the ones that are at the forefront of everything. Oh, what's your reaction been to the... The coverage, the media coverage, the discussion, the reaction, the meetings. You know what? I'm actually not surprised at it because it's the same coverage no matter what issues go on in the northeast in a city. 
it's the same narrative that's pushed about the young people that are in there, that the people that live there, do you know, this idea that they're all just talks, that nobody wants to walk. We all just want to free gas. Do yeah. you know? Yeah. Like people don't understand there's no such thing as a free gaff unless they magically fall out of the sky. No one gets a free gaff. I know from my own mother, my own mother's in our home in Summerhill 30 years now. Now I was nine. Jeez, I'm showing my age 26 years now, 27. <laughs> but um, she pays 100, 140, 150 euros a week rent. Like yeah. you make that up over the years. That house has been well bought over and over. Yeah. No, so yeah. there's not this idea of free gas and that people from communities like this just want to leech off taxpayers, leech off the state. But the media perpetuates that. The way that they highlight, you know, any issue that's happening in the northeast and I see. And unfortunately, the government responses to it are always knee-jerk responses that are to protect tourism and protect that economical side of things, rather than looking at the issues that's already in them communities and trying to tackle them. And in particular, it was actually really struck yesterday. I don't know if you heard um, the discussion around this idea of the armed police and oh. and the response. Uh, I think it was James Lawless, a Fianna Fáil TD, saying, you know, that oh, this idea that young people might be incited to, you know, respond violently and might be antagonistic to the police is just, you know, just how could you think of that? And you're going, you know, they are so removed from what is the experience and reality of young people? And that's what I was really struck by yeah. in all this coverage, the, the failure to look at these young people as human beings almost yeah. like is, it's, as you said, they're just thugs and they're just, yeah. like, because they're lost. They deserve to be just locked up. And whereas, and that, no, go on, go on. Really? Yeah, I was going to say, I was yesterday the same, exactly what way you're feeling there was how I was reading that. And it was like, when you consider, like, even the young people that are around now who wouldn't have been around at the time when Terence Wheelock's case came up and up, there's still that legacy of mistrust there by the whole community of the guards because of that. There are some, I will say, there are some amazing guards in the North mm -hmm. City, the ones that really get to know the community, they, re they really get to know the young people who put in the work. But unfortunately, what happens then is they put, they do such a good job at getting to know the young people that they moved on. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they're not when they've already built that relationship, relationship up. There's some that's linked in with the youth clubs and all that have great relationships with the young people, but that too few and far between. And then when they do a good job, as I said, they moved on. Like to the point that we'd even be joking when they come in, ask them not to do such a good job because we know they're going to get moved on. <laughs> you know, like, and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. That, like, I remember I had an incident myself. My own, my own son has never been in trouble with the police. Never, ever. I remember one day I was outside my mum's, coming up to Halloween. I was up with my mum's with the kids, and my brother was giving me a lift home. And me and the two younger kids got in the car, and my eldest young friend, he was staying in my mum's. He left me literally at the car, walked up one minute up to the corner, and I, a young fella flew down on a, on a bike. Holly, the police have Dylan up there. I know end up the cop I had Dylan up by the throat. He threw a firework at me. I said he's literally after walking away from me. He didn't. Yeah. So that's a And that's where me and my brother now was saying, saying, like, he's never been in trouble around like he's never had any involvement. It's just I will and then he asked his surname. His surname, his father would have been in a bit of trouble. I will don't worry, if he hasn't been in trouble, he will be. And it's just that That was the comment from the guard. That 
um, if he hadn't, if he hasn't been in trouble yet, don't worry, he will be coming from that family. Do you know? So yeah, it's yeah. that generalizing view of the young people in there, yeah. regardless of whether the guards know them or not. And so now you're going to put arms in the guards' hands. So when there's already a legacy of them using brute force with young people, yeah. So there was a video there a few months ago, and it was at the time of the anti-refugee stuff and all that was going around, and it was shared as a migrant man attacking a young girl. It wasn't. There was a brother and sister from the community fight, right? But it was just mad how it's so sort of ingrained that you expect from the guards how to treat the young people. The guards is using a baton, banging the legs off the young lads. He was a kid. And everyone was just outraged that it was a migrant. But, and that just goes to show how desensitized to how did guards treat the young people Anyway, do you know, because there was no shock and outrage at how the guard was handling the young person. It was more about that, the fact that people thought he was migrant. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and it is interesting, again, when you talk of Your sound is gone, Rory. Sorry, I said, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can now. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, the When we talk about violence and, like, those their acts of aggression and violence by the guards against yeah. those young people like you described the guard having you know your young fella up against the wall by his throat yeah. that's that's violence and that's you know what that does to, to to young people and as you say that relationship and of course it goes back even deeper to the exclusion from society you know poverty you know homelessness you know, the, the drug issues, the abandonment that I talk about, that is a violence, that is a structural violence yeah. from the state and from society that results from inequality. And we come on to that. But just what, what's been the reaction talking to people in the community to it? About the armed police now? Yeah, the, the armed police. No. But just the general reaction to what's going on in this, this sense of like, you know, this idea that, <laughs> you know, it's lawlessness now. It's Wild West in, in the northeast inner city. And you talk to a lot of the older people who will, you know, to start out you. The young people aren't the same anymore. But sometimes people are removed from, I think sometimes some of us might have a, a better understanding about the structural inequality side. Yeah. But when someone is living in a flat complex and they're seeing the young people and the way they're carrying on and all, you can understand them screaming out for more police. You can understand yeah. all that, you know, because they're also living in fear. But talk to most of the younger people in the community and all, and they know policing these issues away is not going to work. It's been tried for decades. It hasn't worked. Tackling the structural inequalities, that might help, do you know what I mean, if you start yeah. to get to the real issues. Or well, as long as we keep putting in more and more police, keep ignoring the issues that are there, do you know, ignoring the amount of unemployment that's in the community, the amount of people living in poverty that's in the community, because you see it with the young people getting groomed into the gangland stuff. A lot of the parents, they'll see that child coming in, in new runners, new clothes and all, and they won't be judged. They're ashamed that their child is involved in it. But you also have to understand if a parent doesn't have to then put that stress on themselves to go out and buy these new runners to keep up with all these friends, they will let it sort of slide and ignore it until it gets too bad to a point that there's someone knocking at the door because a child owes money. Do you know? So it's understandable that these issues can be let go for a long time in these communities. And I think when it comes to the guards and all, 
as long as you stay within those communities, nothing is really done about it. And like that was clear going back, Jesus, the first heroin epidemic and then the second. Like I think the Bradshaw report came out in the 80s and it said the same things that the Rabbit report said. All the same issues come up, the same things about structural inequalities. All of that was in it. But it wasn't until Veronica Guerin was murdered that the state stepped in and started doing something. Yeah. You know, so it was like when it seeps out of these communities, then they'll step in and do something. So the community overall, I think, has a lot of mistrust in the government. It's a lot of mistrust in the police. And as I will, again, I'll go back to the Terence Wheelock thing. That has had a huge impact on the mistrust in the police as well. But just for listeners who might not be aware of the Terence Wheelock um, case, maybe briefly explain that. Um, Terence Wheelock, she's I know Terence since he was a baby. He was one of my brother's best friends. Like we grew up in the same avenue, his brothers, and now we all hung around together. Terence went was sent out to get a paintbrush, and he was pulled by the police and accused of I think I don't know what was being in a rock car. There was something that happened that what the accusation was put on him. They arrested him. So he went down to the police station and the next the next day, I think later on, the family got a call saying that he was in hospital. And when they went, they apparently the police said that he tried to hang himself. And for anyone to follow up on the case, there are his pictures and all his body is covered in bruises. So there is it looks like he was attacked by the guards in the station. Yeah. And he went yeah. too far and killed them. But the family have been crying out for an independent inquiry that they've never got. You know, it was investigated, but it was investigated by the police of Star Street, like in the place where it happened, yeah. by the guards, colleagues, where it happened. So that's an injustice straight away. The fact that it was investigated in that, that way. But that family has never been able to move on. Like his father just died there last year, like never get justice. His brother, Lala, he was one of my best friends. Lala fought for years yeah. from that. Like, I'm really, really fine. Led a brilliant campaign and never, ever got justice for him. So that's obviously going to leave a huge mistrust to the guards in the community. And that law was, I think, until that is rectified, you know, that the family do get some form of justice, that legacy of mistrust. And that's a way of actually the guards could build up a bit of a relationship with the community to give them that. Because even regardless, like, that was what, I think Terence is about 17 years dead now, 17, 18 years, think around that mark. But, um, like, my son's 21, he knows all about that. Kids younger than him knows all about that. Yeah. He knows, though, they have no trust in the guards because of that. So now to come in with guns and to come in and use them when they're already using strong arm tactics is not going to help and it's not going to be make the community, regardless of whether it's the older generation, it's not going to improve the conditions like the relationships and all between them. It's going to make a worse of them. And eventually someone will get hurt. Yeah. And how much do you think the homelessness and housing crisis has worsened people's situations in the northeast inner city? Because it would be an area that has been disproportionately affected by homelessness. I think it's worse in many ways, like one would even like be where young people achieve. And like, if you look at families where there's generations living in the same home, like we'd have people coming in, there's the grandparents 
parents, grandchildren, all living in small flats. Do you know, so then you're expecting a young person to be able to achieve. Like young people want to get out in the street away from all that. Do you know, they're yeah. living in cramped conditions, just get me out of here. Like I remember even during COVID, it was like the young people got a horrible, horrible rap. If they were seen on the streets, they didn't care about anyone. They they were made, they were talked about like they were not. Yeah. And they got a lot of the blame for spreading it off. Well, if you consider them living in cramped conditions, like I was living here on my own, my kids. I was getting me out of here some days. Yeah. So yeah. Could you imagine living in them conditions that you're constantly someone on top of you? You have no privacy. You have no time. Like if you have any mental health issues around, you have no space to actually regulate your emotions, sit down and think yourself because there's no space for it. And then as well, like it doesn't help that the conditions of the apartments and the flats in the northeast and our city are not in very good condition. Like people living with damp and mold and all the effect that's having on their physical health, but then it ends up having a huge effect on their mental health as well. And then, as I think I spoke to you before, Bill, it's like we'd have a lot of people coming in with children with autism, you know, and living in cramped conditions. So you're trying to regulate your child, you know, help your child learn yeah. to regulate their own emotions, but then they've no space to even sit and do that on their own. So they have an outburst, they're attacking their siblings, they're attacking their parents, because they don't know any other way of getting that sort of emotions out. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and it's you know inequality and and that deep deprivation that that multi-generational deprivation which is combined with trauma yeah and is just it, it was absent from the whole discussion in around this like the violence yeah. and the and i was just shocked again at how it's like you know it, as you go back to these communities and these areas and um you know john Bissett writes about it so well in his book yeah. um about how you know these are not disadvantaged communities these are communities that have been it's not the people are they, deprived they have been deprived they've been, of disadvantaged. The they've been disadvantaged exactly that had someone in fox rock been born in you know foley street or in ballybock they wouldn't have the same advantages or and you just go that we still don't except really in this country that we have inequality to the extent that we do i don't think i don't think so and to, to accept it though would then mean that they'd have to take some some sort of responsibility so they're never going to accept that you yeah. know because then it means that they're admitting that they failed in some way you know by like you even see the difference if you're walking down say sheriff street and now over to the ifsc yeah. The difference is yeah. glaring, like it's unreal. In the sale project, remember we done a video years ago, if you, it's called Crossing the Line, and it was just an art piece, and it was showing the difference. Now, with some of the women, like at the sale project, the Women's Addiction Recovery um, Project in the Northeastern RC, but it was showing the women sort of on the side of the wall where Sheriff Street and all walking them, offered tablets, the whole lot, and then them crossing over. It, there's not any words really in it, but I have to say one of the most powerful videos I've ever seen. I must actually send it to you. Really, really powerful. That shows that sort of inequality straight away just by a wall that's dividing. Yeah. It's really, really powerful to watch. Yeah, yeah. And it's so stark. It is so stark in the inner city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see it, as you say, you go, to, you walk down, you know, from East Wall rapidly into, you know, the IFSC and, 
you know, across the river into, you know, the, the Google Docs and, and just like the, the wealth and the yeah. billions that flow uh, through that are sitting there. Yeah. And imagine living at the back of that and you're living in extreme poverty and looking out on that. Yeah. That has to anger you. Of course, how could it not? Has to anger you. You know, you're sitting there stri- struggling to get by day to day and you're looking out on these big multi-million corporations who pay barely any tax as there is and you're struggling like your paycheck is getting chipped away and chipped away and you're left with nothing at the end of the week yeah, yeah. and when you t- and when they talk about violence again i'll come back to that concept of structural violence which is that fact that the state our society our economy the way we organize it says it's okay that yeah. these billions lie there are extracted while other people are left with literally, yeah. you know, nothing. And like that is a form of deciding that we're going to allow people suffer, be traumatized, be denied healthcare, housing, and leaves them, you know, actually physically hurt as a result yeah. and mentally hurt. And that's violence. Yeah. It's huge violence on the whole community. And commu- any communities like, like I've opened other communities such as Darndale as well, and the same things, you know. The same issues come up, like the different people in them, but the same people, if you know what I mean. They yeah. all go through the same stuff, the same issues, the same hurts every day, and nobody seems to care. And like we've had a, even as a, again, the media and all, when they show and it's always sensationalized, you know, like the least little issue sensationalized, and it's those people again. You know, there was a comment made yesterday. I, I put a post about that. The Garda, the Aunt Garda, and the mum, mum's talking back and forth with me on the post. And he says he always remembers a comment that a guard made to him years ago. And he was asked, like, now this is an elderly man, um, is all, was all kids in the north and I see you born in a rock park? Like, just, wow. you know, wow. I was just like, when that, when he said a comment, that was my reaction. I was like, wow. Now I've heard bad comments, but it's like, that just goes wow. to show the way people talk about the community. Yeah. Yeah. And the community is a great community. Yeah. And they don't highlight that enough. Like, you look at the likes of Barry Keoghan, like, how well Barry Keoghan's still. And he had a really bad start in his life. Yeah. You know, and to yeah. be one and achieve why he is chief. Yeah, he got a bit of recognition when he got for the, got nominated for the Oscars and all that. He got great recognition. But there's not enough about the young people in the community that are doing great stuff. Swan Youth Service have a brilliant team in there, the young leaders, the work that they do in the community, you know, for Christmas and all, like going out and getting donations, making hampers, dropping them into elderly people now. None of that is ever highlighted. Yeah, we might get the Barry Kilgans and all who will get a bit of recognition now and again. Mm, Yeah. The ordinary young people who are still in the community and are still helping their neighbours, all that and all. None of that is ever recognised. It's always just when there when there's a bit of trouble that's highlighted, and you see it when, say, if anyone's in trouble or even if even if there's a death around from drug overdoses around, it's always known to the police. If it's highlighted in the paper, yeah. it'll never just be about the person. It'll be has previous convictions or is known to the police. It's never just about that person. And in terms of that, you know. Yeah. You're- 
working with young people and families, you know, what do they say are the big issues that are affecting them right now? For now, the majority work I do now would be with adults now. Like I, it's only when I was in Swan that I'd get to work with young people, mm. but even talking to young people, you know, how a lot of them does be around how the guards treat. But true related intimidation is a huge one for the community at the moment. And we'd have a lot of families coming in terrified because their son might own money and the windows are being put in or they're being told that they don't have this by a certain day, that they will give them extra time, but the money is jumping up and up and up. Yeah. And the families are terrified because they know they're never going to meet that, you know, and they're being threatened. And a lot of times they're sad because the people they're being threatened by are kids they've known since they were babies. Yeah. But... There is also the side that when these young people come in and threaten them, that there's also someone above them telling them that they must do this. Mm. So it's just a legacy of fear, you know, and it can it's destroying the community at the moment. And I think personally, I think until they start looking at a regulation model for drugs, that none of that is ever going to change. And that is the, the in terms of that. What difference do you think that would make, that regulation, decriminalization would make? Decriminalization would make a difference for people who use drugs problematically, as in they wouldn't be picking up convictions for having drugs in their own possession, but it's not fair enough. Like, that is good for people who use drugs. But regulation, it takes the marker from the gangs and it stops young people from being easily exploited. Well, yeah, there's no point in doing it unless you're going to create opportunities for the young people who are already yeah. involved. And unless you also couple that with a spent convictions bill, because many of them will have already picked up convictions. Now, I know if they're between 14 and 17, they're not going to get a, you know, like a sentence or something like that. Yeah. Then when they do reach their age and they do get picked up, all their past previous things are still brought up in court and then they end up with a lengthy sentence. So I think there needs to be like that. If there's ever going to be a regulation model, there has to be a spent convictions bill alongside it if you want to take down any barriers for the people in the community that's already affected. Because I think you only have to look at the... Remember, was, how long are we... How long is it in Ireland now since um, since homosexuality was made legal? That was 40 years ago. And they're yeah, only now talking about removing convictions for people who've been affected by that. Yeah. Like 40 yeah. years later. You know, so like for people who had already picked up convictions, that's still on their record. Yeah. So yeah. there's no point in bringing in these things without looking at them extra pieces as well. And, and in terms of opportunities for young people, what do you think could be done? More resources in the community, but there's no point in resourcing your clubs and putting these, these outcomes that you expect. You know, be realistic with it. And I always say, ask people what they want to do, because a lot of times there's funding for in with strict sort of things that this has to be done, that has to be done, that has to be done. Like, you know, so put things in, but give a bit of leeway and let people, like if there's enough funding in that people can get education around what they want to get educated in, training around what they want, because a lot of times that's what's missing. You know, young people are expected to fit into a mold that's already there. Instead of actually yeah. seeing what is it you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think 
in terms of, you know, I, I think in terms of employment, in terms of giving young people hope, what could be done around that? I think at the moment with the housing crisis, I think a lot of times it's waste. Do you know, when it's never waste, start putting resources there. But the housing crisis needs to be fixed first. Because, you know, it's probably like those funding there, and you can go to college these days. Yeah. Lucy Grant is there and all. Or it'll, again, I'll come back to like living in cramped conditions now. How are you expected to achieve the same as your peers if you're living in them conditions? Like I was living in a hotel for two years, and I remember this young lad, a Nigerian family that was living there. And every morning, I, my kids were going to school in the north and I see, and the hotel I was in was out in Port Marnie. So I'd be leaving there quarter past six, seven in the morning to get a bus to get my kids into school. But I'd come out every morning, and that young lad is sitting in the lobby while there's nobody else up to study for college because that was the only way he could deal with that. Other than that, he felt he would have failed and he was comparing himself to his classmates a lot. Yeah. So he pushed himself really hard. So Marcus Gunn's out now. So, um, yeah, I think there needs to be sort of realistic funding for in and without, with less restrictions so that you can actually see what young people are interested in because there's no point in forcing them into something that two years later they're bored out of their life and they want to do something else and then the funding is no longer there for it. So create that create opportunities for people if it's something they're really interested in. And, and just in terms of that homelessness, you know, you haven't experienced it yourself. What impact did that have on you or what impact do you see that having on people longer term? Oh. It's really, I'd be honest with you, really hard. Max Close, have you something? Sorry about this, Fran. <laughs> okay. Just the guys are walking from home. Um, as a mother, has a horrible impact on you. I remember, like, <laughs> I'd, like, as I said, I was in Port Marnock. My family is in the northeast and I see they were only two and three, I think, at the time. So they were in crash at the time. So you said, bring them into school in the morning. The kids were exhausted every day, Bob. Like, they were commuting an hour and a half in, in the morning, an hour and a half in back at night because there was no facilities in the hotel. So I had to stay around town, go to my mother's for a bit. Then at the weekend, I would stay in the hotel. I remember one day I was <laughs> I had a microwave in my room. That was the only thing I was allowed to have. And I me ma was after Jim. Me ma was after him. <laughs> Making potatoes and that for me the, the day before and I was heating them up. But didn't I take milk to mix the potatoes and because I had no fridge, the milk was gone off. Yeah. In fact, just that one instance from yeah. me. I had loads of them, but that one instance made me fall apart. Yeah. I just felt like a failure as a mother. I felt like I couldn't provide for my kids what they deserve for me to provide. And like, there is also the fact that I was on the housing list before I ended up homelessness. Right? I was on the housing list for 14 years before that. Yeah. So it wasn't like I just put my name down on the housing list and I ended up homelessness. I was on the housing list for 14 years and there was an electrical fire in their apartment. That's how we ended up in homelessness. Yeah. But, um, oh, um, makes you feel like a failure, especially as a parent, you know, yeah, like regardless yeah. of whether it's a mother or father, it makes you feel like a failure. It makes you feel like you're not doing enough for your children. And then you see them exhausted when they come home and that makes you feel worse. Yeah. Yeah. But Marcus, can you come inside? And the, uh, 
just when you look at that, and I look at it now and we see that homelessness has become, to a certain extent, normalized. Yeah. There's, and like when you think that it didn't exist, like family homelessness at this scale did not exist, no. you know, 10 years ago. And yet now here we have, you know, you've been through it, you know, tens of thousands of children and families have been through it in the yeah. last few years and still in it. And it's like, where is the outrage? Yeah. And, do you know, that started to gain a bit of outrage when it wasn't just people in addiction. It wasn't just people mm. in alcoholism and all. Do you know, that was the face of homelessness years ago. Do you know, when you thought homelessness, you thought someone who was in addiction. You thought someone who was an alcoholic, someone with severe mental health issues. You never thought of families having to, do you know, walk around. Like you see, you're going through town. And I don't, maybe it's because I've been there myself. I always know a family when I see the parents and the bags are getting dragged everywhere, do you know, with them going yeah. from hotel to hotel. It's yeah. a heartbreaking scene when you see it. But I think it started, people started to have a little bit more outrage when it started crossing over from being, just poor people and open class people that were in it. Do you know when yeah. rents got so high that anyone was at risk of being homeless? But even still, there's not enough outrage. Mm. There might be a bit more than there was, but there's not enough. I think when people, sometimes people sit in their homes and they're comfortable and I'm okay. And they don't seem outraged. Like I couldn't sit and watch families going around without having an anger in the attic. Yeah. I just don't understand how anyone can. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus, it, it's, Rory, it, I am so sorry about this. Can you close it <laughs> He'll be all right. He won't die with a stock of. He just wants to be part of it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on inside. He's all right. He's got plenty of views to give, I'm sure, like his yeah. mom. Oh, he has. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, Paula, it's great to chat to you. Um, and, you know, to get the insight, because as I said, it really just frustrated me so much hearing this, you know, narrative over the past, you know, few weeks, the, the you know, the shock and the outrage and obviously the, you know, the violence is horrific and, you know, we need to address it and stop it. Um, but of course, this idea that just pumping in guards is going to somehow solve it, or it's an issue of, you know, antisocial behavior resulting from thuggishness that people are born with, exactly like you said, you know, is it that everyone in the North <laughs> City was born in a robbed car? Like, you know, this born is what the cause now. of is. Um, you know, yeah. I really, really uh, delighted you came on to, you know, challenge that and um, because it needs to be challenged. It really does. You know. Definitely does. Yeah. 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 Okay. Definitely. Well, listen, great. Keep up the great work. And thank uh, you, Rory. Yeah. Yeah. We will uh, chat to you again. It was lovely to have you on. Um, and thank you so much for coming on Reboot Republic today. Paula Kearney, uh, community worker in the North, Northeast inner city. Um, and as always, listeners, please, if you can consider becoming a patron of Reboot Republic, Go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. We are independent media produced by uh, tortoise shack media, which is Tony Groves uh, working hard at it um, and producing great podcasts. We've had some really interesting ones recently. Dara Turnbull discussing uh, solutions to the housing crisis. We have had some really great responses um, from people to a number of the podcasts. We also had Roisin McCashin talking about teachers and the housing crisis, which is coming out as well. 
So, yeah, please, as thank you so much for listening. And please, if you can, share them around, share the podcast around, let people know you're listening and let us know what you think as well. Listen, thank you so much. And we will talk to you all very soon. <laughs>